0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: What Antiochus did in his uh, murderous rage against, he, he killed tens of thousands of Jews, and what he did now becomes a picture of what will happen in the future with another ruler, not Antiochus, but the one that he is a type of the one that we call most frequently the Antichrist.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Daniel chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: Now, they were all Greeks. And they battled, as as the kingdoms went on, they battled for power. But but they were all essentially promoting, in one sense, the same sort of a thing. They were promoting the Greek culture. So Alexander the Great, uh, he Hellenized the world. He took the ancient world and brought it all together under, under Greek culture. Wherever Alexander went, he installed Greek culture. He, and, he uh, set up cities that were named after himself. So many cities in the ancient world were named Alexandre, Alexandria. And the most prominent one would be in Egypt. So, so all of this is happening now. As we go back to the story earlier and we see that these, um, the four prominent horns, they grew up toward the four winds of heaven. And then verse 9, out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south, to the east, and toward the beautiful land. So this is a reference to the northern power to the Seleucids. And the Seleucids, the monarch was called Antiochus. And you have um, in the New Testament we read about the cities of Antioch. Well Antioch was named after Antiochus. Now Antiochus the third was uh, friendly toward the people of Israel so when the when the um, you know when the persians ruled they gave the jews they gave them a, a considerable amount of autonomy when the greeks overthrew the persians they treated the subjected people similarly so antiochus iii kept up a similar kind of a policy with the Jewish people. He recognized that they had a distinct religion from the rest of the empire. He allowed for that. He didn't try to impose uh, any of the customs upon them that would have been contrary to their law. He had an amicable relationship with them. But when he died and his son came to power, everything changed. So this is the person that we're going to deal with here. He's called Antiochus IV. And he's also called Antiochus Epiphanes. He named himself Epiphanes, which meant God manifested. So he saw himself as a god. Now, as we read here, it says, and it's speaking about You know, it's referring to him as this other horn. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens. It threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord. And his sanctuary was thrown down because of a rebellion. The Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. So this is all a description of the activity of Antiochus. So in about, so he reigned from, from 175 to 164, about an 11-year period. And it was in about the year 171 that he, imposed upon uh, Jerusalem this Hellenistic mandate. So what he did is he just erased everything that had been in the past under the Persians and everything that his father had done. He said the Jews no longer have special treatment. They're just like everybody else. They got to do what everybody else has to do. And everybody has to become a Greek. Everybody has to worship the Greek gods. Everybody has to live under the, the Greek laws. And of course, this created a tremendous conflict with the Jews, but he didn't back down at all. He would uh, you know, put forth the mandates, the Jews would uh, resist and he would come in and he would ruthlessly brutalize them. And so this thing went on back and forth, back and forth between him and the the Jewish leaders. And here's another component is many of the Jews sided with Antiochus because at this period in their history, many of the Jews, they preferred the Hellenistic culture. They wanted to be Hellenized. They wanted to be part of this larger thing that was happening. They, They could see how... This culture was spreading all over the world. They were happy to just be part of it. And so they were an apostate group, but they were the political, to a large degree, they were many of the political leaders of the nation. And so at that time, many compromised, many just sort of submitted because they didn't have the power to do anything else. But a small band of them left Jerusalem and went into the Galilee area and began to form a resistance. Now, everything came to a head when Antiochus set up an altar in the temple to Zeus and sacrificed a pig on the altar and commanded the Jews to follow suit. So that's when, when everything went completely um, crazy.
0: Now, as
1: as all of this is happening, as I said, there's this resistance that's starting to form, and there's a priest named Matthias. He has five sons, and they form this resistance. They develop this this guerrilla uh, army, basically, and they take on the the Seleucids. Now they become known, or the period that they have this great influence becomes known as the Maccabean period. But they were not the Maccabeans, they were the Hasmoneans. So the family was the Hasmonean family, they were a priestly family, but they got the title of the Maccabeans because one of the sons, Judas, who was the most successful in driving back the Seleucids, they called him. Judas the Hammer. That's what Maccabean means. Judas the Hammer. So eventually, Antiochus had left the region and had gone off to uh, lead a battle campaign in another area. Um, the Maccabees were were uh, pushing against the Seleucids and they were succeeding when... Antiochus died in a battle over in the area of Babylon. And when word reached back to Jerusalem that he had died, the Seleucids left. And so the, those that led this revolt, the Maccabeans, they came in and they rededicated the temple. So now they desecrated the temple on the 25th of December. And they reconsecrated the temple on the 25th of December. Now, it was probably about a three-year period of the actual desecration of the temple. So remember I said Antiochus uh, took a negative attitude toward the Jews probably in um, about 171. And so... A few years later, he desecrated the temple. So the 2,300 days are approximately not quite seven years. So this this is covering that whole time. But the end of the 2,300 days would be December 25th, 164, when the temple was cleansed and the altar that had been built by Antiochus was torn down and the worship of Yahweh was restored. And this was all done under the the guidance of Matthias and his sons. And that day, December 25th, 164, became celebrated in Jewish history as the Feast of Dedication when you read John chapter 10, Jesus is at the temple on the Feast of Dedication. Today, we know this as Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is the Feast of Lights because it's the day that the light of the Lord was restored to the temple. So all of the stuff that we read about here, as far as you know, the daily sacrifice being taken away and all of that, This is all what Antiochus did. But Antiochus becomes a picture of someone who will come later and do the same thing. Now, in the history of Israel, remember that The temple had been desecrated in the past. I mean, some of the kings of Judah desecrated the temple. Ahab set up a altar in the temple. Solomon had set up altars in the temple. So it had been in a sense desecrated before, but not to the extent that Antiochus did with the taking away of the sacrifices and so forth. And and even after this period of time, there would once again be Pompey would come in and he would conquer Jerusalem and he would more or less desecrate the temple but what antiochus did in his uh, murderous rage against he he killed tens of thousands of jews and desecrated as we said by the offering of the pig and so forth what he did was unlike what anyone else had done but what he did now becomes a a picture of what will happen in the future with another ruler, not Antiochus, but the one that he is a type of, the one that we call most frequently the Antichrist. So when you read the passage, you see that there are, there are certain things that, that force us to, to understand this as referring to some time in the future that hasn't yet arrived. And the main things are the fact that it says that I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. The vision concerns the time of the end, the appointed time of the end. So the Lord is revealing to Daniel things are gonna happen at the end. And so... This would have been the end of the Seleucid reign because when they drove out the Seleucids and Antiochus IV was killed, that was pretty much the end of their reign. And from that point forward, the Jews had a more or less independent rule uh, until the time of the Romans. And they were ruled at that time by this man's family, Matthias, the Hasmoneans, they became the rulers of Israel and Jerusalem, and uh, specifically from, from this point forward until the time of the Romans. So the things that now remain that are said about Antiochus, they, although they could apply to him actually having done these things, there's a greater application to the one who will come in the future and do these things. And we see that the prophecy here takes us out, um, not to the end of the Seleucid reign, it takes us out to the end of time. And so, in simple terms, Antiochus becomes a type of the Antichrist. And his behavior is a foreshadowing of the behavior of the Antichrist. Now, I have mentioned this when we we're looking at the seventh chapter. And remember there, there's the little horn that speaks blasphemous words and all all of the things that were said there and comes against the holy people. Well, look, similar things are said here. So let, let me read from verse 23 to verse 25. And then I want us to flip over to 2 Thessalonians because... I was going to say, I alluded to 2 Thessalonians back in the 7th chapter, but I want us to see where Paul describes the same thing that Daniel describes. Now, it's interesting with Paul, because when we think of prophecy, and especially, you know, end times type of prophecy, we most often, and understandably and rightfully, we think of the book of Revelation. We don't think all that often of the Apostle Paul as putting forth any, you know, in-time prophetic word. But he absolutely does. And so we'll look at that in a second. But let's pick up in verse 23. So it says, in the latter part of their reign. So this is going out. When rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce looking king. So here's the transition from the type, from Antiochus Epiphanes, now the description is, is no longer him being described. It is now the future ruler, the Antichrist being described. And so, a fierce looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, yet He will be destroyed, but not by human power. So you see, this is where it obviously, it it goes beyond Antiochus. Antiochus was destroyed by human power. He died in a battle and his reign came to an end. But we're talking now about this person that's gonna come in the future. Now, remember what Antiochus did. One of the main things he did was that he, took away the daily sacrifice and he set up an idol of Zeus in the temple and that became the abomination of desolation at that time. Now, some people believe that because actually in the 12th chapter, it will make another reference to the abomination of desolation. Some people believe that these things were already fulfilled in history. So that happened with Antiochus. And there's, there's nothing beyond Antiochus to look forward to or to consider because it's already been fulfilled. He set up the abomination of desolation, he set up the idol of Zeus, he offered a pig, that's it. Well, in the 12th chapter of Daniel, in a different context, there's a reference again to the abomination of desolation but you could still say, well, maybe that was Antiochus because, of course, Daniel wrote before Antiochus. But then when you come to the New Testament, Jesus speaks about a future abomination of desolation. So in the scripture, we have at times, we have prophecies that have immediate fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. Sometimes we have prophecies that have many Um, minor fulfillments that are pointing toward an ultimate fulfillment. Here's an easy one to think of. Um, All the way back in Genesis, God makes his promise to Eve and to Adam. He says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman. So who is the seed of the woman? Well, they thought it was Cain, but it wasn't. But Seth became, in a sense, a fulfillment of that. And then we go further in history, and Shem became, in a sense, a fulfillment of that. And then we come to Noah. Well, Nora, Noah precedes Shem. But we, Noah becomes that. But then we go to Abraham. And then we have Abraham's seed, and we have Isaac, who. It qualifies as Abraham's seed. Then we have Jacob, who qualifies as Abraham's seed. And then we have David, who is the one referred to as the seed. But we know the seed is ultimately pointing further down the road to Jesus. And Paul says that in Galatians, when he speaks about the promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular, Paul says this, The promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular, not seeds, plural, to his seed one who is Christ. So although you could legitimately say that Isaac is the seed of Abraham, the promised seed, Jacob is the promised seed, and Judah is the promised seed, David's the promised seed, but they're all pointing to an ultimate fulfillment. And so again, here, we have a near fulfillment in Antiochus Epiphanes, but we have the distant fulfillment in this person that we call the Antichrist. Now flip over to 2 Thessalonians for a moment. And this is is one of these passages that sometimes, it sometimes catches me off guard because I forget that it's in here and I think, oh my goodness, I forgot about this. Like I said, you tend to just think of like when you're talking about the Antichrist, you just tend to think of the book of Revelation, right? Even though the word Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. You know, the only place the word Antichrist is used is used by John, the apostle. John uses it in his, in his first letter, and he refers to the fact that their Antichrist is coming. You've heard that Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists have already gone out into the world. So the word Antichrist means someone who is instead of Christ, a replacement for Christ, or someone who is against Christ. And in this case, of course, it's both. But look what Paul says here. In the second chapter, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, as asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So the Thessalonians, uh, the word had spread that the day of the Lord had already come, and they were panicking over that. Paul says, don't believe it. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the day of the Lord is in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord refers to the day of God's judgment that will lead to the ultimate establishing of his kingdom.
0: Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource.
1: Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is the beginning of a new year, and I think one of the greatest things about the gospel is the truth of the grace of God, that we're saved by grace, that we live in His grace, that ultimately we are brought home through His grace. And so this month, we are offering a great little booklet by Paul David Tripp, 40 Days of Grace. So what a great way to start the new year, taking a deep dive into the grace of God. And so if you would like to get your copy, let us know, and we'll be happy to send you 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. You can order the book 40 Days of Grace by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp to help you better understand that grace is more than you think. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel.